I'm excited to, to talk to us tonight just a little bit about the subject of compassion. You may remember that the last time that I was with you in the evening, uh, we were talking about faith, and we were talking about this thing that we were talking about called the light of faith. Uh, for some of you who are here, you might remember, but I'll give you a quick summary just in recap. The light of faith is this idea that we don't have to necessarily have complete faith or complete trust but we just have to have the ability to take one step of faith at a time. So those of you who were here might have remembered, we looked at an old Indiana Jones uh, sort of clip from, from the film where he's, uh, he's bridging this gap and he, he actually looks down and it just looks like this cavernous pit, but he steps out and he takes one step of faith and there's a bridge that isn't seen. And so the idea behind faith is that faith makes the unseen seen. Um, and tonight, I want to talk a little bit about a subject that is related to, I think, faith, and we'll unpack that in a second, and that is what it means to show compassion towards others. Because when we show compassion towards others, really we're practicing taking a step of faith. Um, so we've been out on a week of mission the last week at the university campuses, University of Manchester. So we had a, 10 Americans with us as well as five or six people from our uh, student mission team with Academy. And we were out all week and we were sharing the gospel with students on the campus. And I was extremely scared at the beginning of the week because I am not an evangelist at all. Um, but it was incredible to see how open university students were to hearing the gospel and how many awesome conversations actually came out of that week of mission. In fact, um, just short testimony briefly, every day that we were out, we didn't really count, but each day we shared the gospel 50 to 60 times with students one-on-one -on -one individually, which is absolutely incredible. And through that, uh, we saw uh, dozens of students who, who actually responded really well to the gospel and were interested in exploring about who Jesus was more. And so we're still working on actually following up with people and actually meeting with them to do short discovery Bible studies, the kind of stuff that we've been looking at in our morning services across Ivy and reading God's word together, seeing the miracles that Jesus performed, and then asking them to respond to what God's saying to them in those stories. And I, um, during that week of mission, it it's never ceases to amaze me that I'll talk about something in a talk on a Sunday, and then throughout my week, it's like I'm living it all week. And so the conversations that I was having all week long during this week of mission, time and time again, were students asking me the same question, which is, I don't know if I can have faith in God. Um, and the question that they specifically were asking me was a question that's related to this idea of faith, and I think related to this idea of compassion as well. And it's this question of how can I have faith unless I know that God is really good? In other words, or another way that a student expressed it to me, I want to believe, but I'm just not sure I can with all the hurt and pain that I see in the world. And whenever I am asked that question, and I'm asked that question a lot, and was asked that question a lot last week, I usually sort of explain it like this. Um, I actually believe that we don't live in a perfect world. I mean, we see that around us. We see pain, we see hurt in the world. Everywhere that we go, we see it, don't we? We see it on like a global scale, where we see like war, famine, poverty, but also we see it individually as well. We see others close to us who either hurt us or maybe in the past we've hurt others as well. So the world, if I had to describe it today, is actually broken. It's fractured. It's not the way that it was intended to be. 
But I believe that when God created the world, he actually had a better plan in mind for the world. The way he originally intended it was that the world was going to be a place of love. And if I had to describe God, his number one character trait, the Bible says, God is love. God is a God, in other words, of compassion. He's a God of love. And so love, though, is like this two-way street. God loves us unconditionally, without any reservation. He will always love you. He always loved us. But also, he created us for relationship with him. He created us so that we would love him. And the thing about love is that love is this two-way street right? You can't force someone to love you. And so God created us with this incredible freedom to choose to follow his plan, to choose to, to remain in his love or to go our own way. And that's what we've done. You know, the, the Bible word for that is sin, but really sin is just when we say, I'm going to put myself first instead of putting God's plan first. And that's what's caused the broken world that we live in. The pain and the hurt that we see in the world is a result of the fact that we've chosen to put ourselves first instead of putting God's love first. But God had a better plan in mind that he would help us get out of the brokenness in the broken world that we live in. And that plan is to send his only son, Jesus, down to earth. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus embodied, and we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight, his number one character trait, once again, God is love. And he embodied what it means to love. He lived a mission, a life of compassion towards others. And ultimately that compassion resulted in sacrifice, that he would lay down his life so that though we deserved to be and were going to be separated from God for eternity, he would die in our place so that we didn't have to. What greater compassion is there than for him to lay down his life as God's son for us. And we know the end of the story. We celebrate Easter. The tomb is empty. Jesus rose again. He defeated death. And so when I explain this, actually the world that we live in today is not the world that God intended it to be, but he intended through sending his son that we would turn to him, we'd believe in him, and that through that we would experience being back fully into God's love. It's this idea of God's kingdom coming down to earth not just for eternity, that will happen, but also in the here and now as well. You see, Jesus is that ultimate example of the Father's love in the world. In every single thing that he did, he showed compassion towards others. And he was this example to show us that God had that different plan from the very beginning. That plan that he would become sin, that he would suffer in the world and live a messy sort of life. And so if you're challenged by that question, as many of the people that I speak to are challenged by, how can we have a good God if the world is such a messy place? I don't know if I have all the answers to that, but I take comfort in knowing that God experienced that same messy, messed up world that we live in. That in the person of his son, Jesus, he, he did suffer. That he became us, that he became sin, that he suffered and died ultimately this tragic death. And through all of this, never did he walk away from that perfect compassion, that perfect love. 
And I've been plagued almost by this topic of compassion. We've been looking at it in our um, miracles of, of Jesus that we've been doing across our Sunday morning services at Ivy. We've called it the sign series. And in every single one of these miracles or signs that we see Jesus do, we see him perform these acts through the miracles of compassion, of showing love towards others. And I've been challenged each week as I've read a story of Jesus's compassion to put that compassion into practice in my own life as well. And we've asked ourselves these questions about these sort of miracles, these signs that Jesus did. If you've not been with us on a Sunday morning, the way we've done that is in small groups. So we've actually gathered around in the middle of the service and we've read the stories together and we've asked each other questions and we've asked each other to respond to the questions about how we're going to embody that story in our life that week and then how we're gonna share it with someone else. And it seems that this trend in each sign is really clear. These miracles are the visible and real images of Jesus's compassion. And so I want to look at just one story tonight, which has really grabbed my attention. And it's the story that we might all be really familiar with because it comes from our old, you know, Sunday school days or maybe our RE days. And it's the, the parable, the story, the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And as we... Um, I think unarguably, it's probably one of the, the most or the most famous parable um, or story that we can read in the Gospels. And so I want to read it together tonight and look at what it means for us to show compassion as this sort of practical sign of faith. And so it comes from John chapter 6. I'm going to read it out, but it's going to be on the screen as well. Starting in verse 1. And after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. And it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. But Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. So Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. But then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? So Jesus said, tell everyone to sit down. And so they all sat down on the grassy slopes and the men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. I see in this story this sort of hidden meaning within, the seemingly impossible miracle that Jesus performs. And I sort of, at first glance, when I've read this story before, have thought, Jesus performs a miracle and then he moves on. It's a sign that he really was God's son. But as I read it again, I got trapped up in the very beginning of it and God said something completely new to me about what maybe this story is really about. Because I had never noticed in reading the story, but 
that when Jesus is about to do the miracle, it's not a demonstration of his power that he's trying to show, but he has compassion on the crowd who's hungry. And so he then does the miracle. That miracle that he performs, that sign comes first out of the compassion. He's not looking for the fame. He's, he's not trying to prove to the crowd that he's God's son. It's not performed for anyone's benefit and especially not Jesus's benefit other than the fact that Jesus himself saw the crowd and had compassion on them. And we're actually led to infer when we read verse one and two, the very start of this story, that actually Jesus' intention was probably quite the opposite. He was trying to get away from the crowd which had been following him. That's why he tried to escape. But when he sees the crowd and sees their hunger, he's driven to compassion and he acts. He's not interested at the beginning of this in proving that he's God's son, but he's interested in the crowd, in the people. And you see in this story, the, the miracle sign, as I said, is just a side effect of the compassion that Jesus has. And I think we can learn from the story what it means for us to live out lives that are compassionate, a life that is about showing God's love to others in a world that is not about God's love, that is a broken world. And the first thing I think we can learn is this. Compassion, as we see Jesus' model here, is completely selfless. It's not about what you get, but it's about what you do to others. And actually, we see here that the compassion Jesus shows or showing here actually leads to further compassion. Um, when we're compassionate towards others, it kind of gets us to stop thinking about ourselves and to start thinking about others. And the more that we practice compassion in our lives, the more that we see an attitude of selflessness in our own lives. And I've seen that as well. It's the more that I'm looking out for others, the more that I want to look out for others and the less I care about myself. So it has this kind of ball rolling down a hill effect. Compassion is selfless. And the ultimate act of selflessness that we see Jesus showing here is found at the end of the story. We notice that if it wasn't about being selfless and if, if it was really about demonstrating his power, he probably would have stayed and taken the recognition. He might've even taken the crown that the crowd wanted to put on his head to make him king. But what does he do instead? He retreats, he leaves. He's not the kind of expected Messiah savior that they think they're getting, this political ruler, but actually he's a Messiah of love, a Messiah of compassion. And so he's not interested in the accolades. It's completely selfless action. Jesus doesn't want the credit. And I think the second thing that we learned from this is that compassion is both selfless, but also we see in here that compassion makes the impossible possible. You know, it had been estimated conservatively that if you included a count of all of the men, women, and children, that there was a minimum of 10,000 people in this crowd. You know, the story only says specifically that there were 5,000. And actually the conservative estimate is 10,000. Others would say, no, it was probably more like 20,000 people that Jesus is feeding here. And what we see him do is that though the doubtful disciples, specifically Philip, think that it's gonna take more than eight months of wages to feed these people, Jesus isn't worried about it. He's not worried about the practical logistics of what it's gonna take because he knows that he is a God who's gonna make the impossible possible. This task of feeding these 10,000 plus people is not possible, impossible when you have God. 
And so he's not bothered by Philip's question. How are we going to work long enough to feed all of these people? He's not even bothered by Andrew and his question of, surely this boy's meager offering isn't going to be enough to feed all of these people. But Jesus understands that he's going to produce a miracle out of five loaves and two fish. He's going to make what seems impossible actually possible. And when I practice acts of compassion, I often ask myself, okay, well, maybe it's easy to be completely altruistic when I'm practicing an act of compassion towards others. Um, but it's really hard for me oftentimes when I'm practicing compassion to try to make the impossible possible. In other words, I'm like, I can only extend my compassion so far with the resources that I have. But when we trust God, he makes it possible. And so I'm driven to act and to ask myself, how am I acting in a compassion that shows that towards others? What we're talking about here is like this abundant generosity towards others. You know, it's how am I going above and beyond to show compassion towards others in my life that would give them the impression, the truth, that God is a God who makes the impossible possible. It's irrational generosity. We've talked about that in a series that we did just a few months ago. It's that sort of compassion. And when we practice this irrational generosity, I think we learn the third thing that we can draw out of this story. And that's that Jesus's compassion that he shows is a compassion that leads to multiplication. And in here we see really two kinds of multiplication at work. The first multiplication is like a literal multiplication. It's the miracle itself where he takes five loaves, two fish, feeds 10,000 plus people, gets enough left over for each of the disciples to have their own little basket of bread. Um, and so we see a, a physical multiplication that the compassion does. But I think also we see a kind of different sort of multiplication in this story, a multiplication of people. And I think we see that specifically when we look at the boy. This boy who we have, who has five loaves and two fish, and I sort of speculate, where was this boy headed? Had his mom sent him to the market to go pick up the family meal for the night and he was on his way back? Or maybe that was literally all that he had. Maybe he was taking it to sell it so that he could make the money, so he could support his family. But this boy is found, and what does he do when he sees the compassion that Jesus shows? He has a childlike faith. It's multiplied, and he then wants to act with compassion. He willingly gives up his five loaves and his two fish so that the crowd can be fed. Compassion is contagious. It's kind of like this pay it forward idea, but I'm calling it multiplication here. Compassion is contagious. You see, someone may not believe in God at first. They may be skeptical of God's goodness amidst the evil in the world. They may not trust that God really is a good God. But when they see us being selfless in our acts of compassion, it will be contagious. Many of us have examples of our journey to faith is because we first experienced God's love on display in someone else who led us to Christ. And so compassion is contagious. And I believe that this compassion has a multiplication effect. Um, the modeling that Jesus does here shows us that it's, it's only compassion. It's the compassion he had, which led others to want to desire to pursue that same compassion in their lives. And finally, the fourth thing is that we see compassion leads to faith. Compassion produces faith. This young expectant boy 
who though he has little, offers this up, this meager offering, without the miracle even having been produced yet, but he has the faith to say, I trust that what you're gonna do with this Jesus is going to be spectacular. It's gonna be incredible. It produces a faith. And when others perform these acts of compassion as well, I ask myself, how does that build up my faith in God? Maybe you could ask yourself that tonight as well. How does that build up your faith in God when we see others acting with compassion around us? When we act in a compassionate way towards others, in a way that shows Christ's love, how does that build up our faith? Because I believe that compassion produces faith. We see others and we believe, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we believe because we've seen them display God's love. And so we don't know that we might, we might not know exactly how this is supposed to work out, how we're supposed to get out of this broken world that we live in and how God really does love us unconditionally. But we see people that believe it and that act it out in compassion in their own lives. And that leads us to want to take a step of faith. It produces a faith in others. And we see that at work in this story. It's not often that a book moves me to tears. Um, but I experienced in this book kind of that full range of emotions. It's a short book. I read it in about uh, an hour, hour and a half. And um, I, I experienced everything from joy to sorrow uh, to, to laughter and almost every range of emotion in between. And I was reading this book and I was reflecting on this question of how does a good God allow bad things to happen in the world? And specifically, how is, it, how is God still a God of love, a God of compassion? God, we see that demonstrated in the person of Jesus. How does that work? How does that happen? And I don't think that there's an easy answer to this question. Um, but as I read this book, it kind of has helped me in some of the stories that it gives figure out what exactly that means. And it's interesting because Rob said something in the worship that I want to come back to in just a minute. But he said, um, as we repeated those words, how awesome is it that you, God, have chosen to make your home in my heart? And so when we act with compassion towards others, that's really what we're doing is proving to them, showing them that God has chosen to make his home inside our heart, to, to dwell within us, to move within us, to do what he's going to do in the world within us. So in this book, there's a girl named Kate, and she's struggling with this terminal cancer diagnosis. Um, this is a true story. Um, and she's still alive, but still struggling, still has the same diagnosis. And she's debating and asking this very same question. And she talks specifically about some examples from friends that she's got as she's going through uh, this sort of questions of how in the world is there so much bad in the world if we are supposed to be people of compassion who show love towards others. And she says this, and I'll just read it to you. She says, a friend of mine looked at his newborn daughter Dewey from birth, and could not acknowledge what he saw with his own eyes. She was plump and pink with lightly hooded eyes of a perfect child, but a perfect child with Down syndrome. Despite all the love in his heart, or perhaps because of it, he could not say those words aloud, Down syndrome. And that sliver of iron became a commitment never to proclaim, never to negatively confess that his baby girl was anything less than typical. He began to believe that the God of all that is whole and complete would make his daughter so, even if it was not until the judgment day when Jesus came through the clouds. 
What would it mean for Christians to give up that little piece of a dream that says you are limitless, everything is not possible? The mighty kingdom of God is not yet here. What if rich did not have to mean wealthy and whole did not have to mean healed? What if being people of the gospel meant that we are simply people with good news? God is here. We are loved. It is enough. I received this friend's Christmas card in the mail not long after his daughter was born and stared at it on the fridge. The sun shone behind their heads, upturned in laughter. The baby on his lap, a gaggle of children hanging off of their mother. I exhaled slowly. I suddenly longed to have the strength to pick that baby up and hold her eye to eye so that I could say the words that I longed to hear. You are perfect, my darling, just as you are. You are the gospel. You see, in the feeding of the 5,000, what I've come to realize is this. I've come to realize that there's really, I believe, two miracles at play here. There's the, the literal miracle where Jesus takes some bread and some fish and he multiplies them. But there's this sort of second, I think, far more powerful miracle in this story as well. And that miracle is the people, it's the crowd. See, the people in their needs, I believe, they represent Jesus and his ministry. They represent exactly what I shared at the beginning, that Jesus came down to this earth to live a life of perfect love, to live a life of perfect compassion. And when he sees them, he has, and when he sees anyone in his ministry, he has compassion on them. He heals, he feeds them because they are the gospel. It's God's kingdom coming near to them. They are the gospel. You see, compassion leads us to see the needy, the poor, the marginalized, the ill, the sick, in the same way that Jesus sees them, because they are the gospel. We can consider Jesus as he once said, whenever you have fed the least of these, clothe the least of these, surely you've done it to me. Or the words that Rob led us through, how awesome is it, God, that you've chosen to make your home in my heart? Or maybe we can look at the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And because those people that we're called to show God's love to, to show that he is real, that he has always been from the beginning of time pursuing them relentlessly in love and compassion, because we're called to those people, we're called to display that same sort of compassion that Jesus displays. That is the miracle. It's the compassion. So when you share the gospel in your life, I believe the best way that we do it is through that lens of compassion. And I'm not talking about some kind of we only help people, but we never share the message of Christ's love. We do both. But what drives us to share the, the message of God's love, to share this with people is because we first have compassion for a world that if not hearing this message would be lost in brokenness. So I just challenge you tonight to think about how you are showing compassion towards others. 
Now in a minute, the, the band is gonna come back up and lead us in a, a bit of a brief response time. And as we do that, I've had um, the welcome team put on your chairs a sort of compassion score test. Now I'm not usually one for tests, but I feel like this is a really good starting place for you to say, how am I demonstrating and how am I acting out compassion in my own life? And like any good test, it's not meant to make you feel either bad or good about how you do or don't display compassion. In fact, actually, I've not put like a key at the bottom. So there really is, um, it's all subjective, but it's meant to help you answer some questions about how do I see and show compassion towards others in my life? And the reason it's subjective is because I believe that um, God can really speak to us and convict us through reading his word and through doing things like this, because then, though maybe for someone else, the score seems quite low and they're like, I really need to display more compassion in my life, we might think, oh, subjectively, I feel like I've done a good job. So however you grade yourself, grade yourself that way, knowing that some people are gonna be harder on themselves than others. Some people are gonna be more generous to themselves than they probably should be. You know which one of those people you are. Um, so I just ask you to, to maybe take some time just at the beginning of, of this time for reflection. Think a little bit about this. Think about how you're called to do the same thing that Jesus does, to perform miracles and signs that show you acting out compassion. Let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you for the, um, the gift of your son. Though we live in a broken world, that you've sent your son down to show us that your people are the gospel message that you came to proclaim. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us that you came to die for those uh, who were far from you, to die for those who were lost, which is all of us, God. And so we just thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be a display, a dwelling place of your spirit uh, here on this earth and to be a display of your kingdom and your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.